Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. Finding your dream home is difficult. Financing it with SoFi is easy. Get a mortgage for as little as 10% down and learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. See SoFi.com slash legal. Loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp and are not available in all states. NMLS 1121636. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the newest member of Oracle's sailing team, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or you can just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today, we have an interview I conducted with Mark Hurd, the co-CEO of Oracle. We spoke in front of a live audience in May at the company's headquarters in Silicon Valley. Let's take a listen. All right, we're here with Mark Hurd. We're on the Oracle campus. You're here. What's this day today? What is this? Is a press day or a... We, we call it Media Day, Kara. I mean, it really is an opportunity for us to try to give people some context to what we're doing, right? how we're doing it, a little bit about our industry. Uh, we had a panel with some of our customers, and again, an attempt to, to drive familiarity with our strategy and our direction. All right. Well, let's just get into the news today. I think probably the biggest thing, and I want to get into a whole bunch of things you guys have been doing lately, but let's talk about the cloud. Because that seems to be the big focus. You announced a new agreement with AT&T, who had been a customer. Yes. Could you explain it? And then I have questions about that. Sure. Uh, I think most people are familiar with AT&T as, uh, as a company. Obviously, they do a lot, uh, particularly in this country. Big company. They've been a customer a long time. Uh, they have actually care a lot of data. Mm-hmm. I talked a little bit this morning. I think they have in excess of an exabyte of data, which if you ask how much, it's just a lot. And they have uh, it in a lot of Oracle databases. And some of those Oracle databases are actually really big Oracle databases. And so what we've come to is an agreement to really bring all the benefits of our cloud mm-hmm. to AT&T. And we'll work together collaboratively as we migrate those databases uh, to the Oracle cloud. It'll be very exciting. We also announced Oracle applications that AT&T will take advantage of. We highlighted one specific one, which was our field service. AT&T has got roughly 70,000 technicians, and that process will all be automated with an Oracle uh, field service application. So so this is taking the existing customer and bringing them to the cloud, essentially, what you did. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good description. Taking too long? I mean, it's cloud, cloud has been something that's been happening for a while. Talk a little bit about your process for it, because you, you and not just you, but Microsoft, Google, and others have led Amazon. I think they have a third of the cloud business, uh, both commercial and, and otherwise. Have you guys taken too long to get to this? Can you talk about... Well, let's talk about the, the industry overall, Carol. Okay. I think it'd be probably interesting to get some context. Our industry is a couple of trillion dollars of spend. Half of it's consumer, half of it is everybody who's not a consumer companies. Right. Uh, of that trillion dollars of spend, it's hard to even get to 50 billion of it yet is in the cloud. So as a percent of total enterprise spend, still relatively small. So if somebody asked me a baseball analogy, I would say we're in the... The first inning of all right. Of, if you insist on a baseball analogy, I don't but insist, go ahead. But it's just one analogy. Now um, that said, the cloud revenue, albeit small compared to the enterprise revenue, is growing roughly fifty percent per year. So it sure. is it is beginning to compound, and the traditional on-premise world is in decline. Right. So uh, in that context, now you look at our numbers. Um, 
we're doing awful well. We're gaining a lot of share. We're gaining a lot of share relative to those cloud vendors with the growth rates we put up over the past couple of years. So talk about those rivals, because no one had thought Amazon would do this. Obviously, Google then jumped in. Microsoft has jumped in. You're at, what, $10 billion? Is that correct? We're rough, roughly at a $5 billion plus run rate. We've talked about getting to $10 billion relatively shortly, given the growth rates we've got. I would say that all of these companies, Kara, get described in the same bundle, but okay. they all really do different things. All right, separate them for me. Yeah. So at the infrastructure layer, you know, basically compute and storage, you would have somebody like like Amazon. If you went to the uh, the application layer, which would be called SaaS uh, by most people, you'd have companies like ourselves, you'd have Salesforce, you'd have uh, others that mm-hmm. provide applications as a service. There's a second tier called platform as a service. Platforms are basically everything that's not an application or not compute or storage. Mm-hmm. We and Microsoft would probably be the two most complete platforms. Microsoft would have uh, Windows, .NET, SQL Server. We'd have Linux, Java, the Oracle database. Mm-hmm. So those would be the two probably most dominant uh, platform companies. And then if you went to the infrastructure layer, you've got, as I said, Amazon, Google um, to a degree, although not quite as scaled at the enterprise layer. You'd have people like ourselves and, and Microsoft. But we're coming in with more of a complete stack, mm-hmm. applications, platform, and infrastructure. How, how did you think about this? Because again, I, I don't want to get on the too late, but did you, you have this business that makes a lot of money. I get that. But it's like that with media, like any, any other business. It's obviously changing. How quickly did you guys note this? How do you, how do you assess your performance? Our progress? Yeah, your performance um, on it and recognizing it and doing something about it. Well, I mean, listen, like anything, we assess our performance in numbers. Um, we could talk a lot, but it's a lot better <laughs> when we have results. Our view was we went after this uh, hard, but we went after it with a very discreet strategy, which was we were working on apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, this company was working on apps uh, moving to the cloud before I got here. Right. So this has been, you know, nine, ten years. And by the way, this idea of moving apps to the cloud You know, if you went back to NetSuite, Mm -hmm. um, when Evan Goldberg founded NetSuite with Larry, uh, this was uh, an idea before there even was the term cloud. Um, So this idea is not a new idea. We started on this, like I said, about 10 years ago, and it was really to get a best-of-breed suite of applications and then bring them together as a suite of, of, of products. The next thing to do was to really get the platform right. Mm hmm and then now what we're very focused on is bringing the infrastructure in place to support that platform and support that applications and incremental commercial workloads that customers So have. when do the lines cross for your previous – when do you imagine? Well, they're getting pretty close. I mean, if you look at our company, you know, we're circa, you know, $40 billion in revenue. You, you've talked about sort of where we are in our, our cloud performance. If you looked at the company a little differently – and just looked at our applications business, forget whether it's in the cloud or on-premise, uh, the applications market, I would guess, is growing 1%. I mean, there's the people in the room that could give a guess, but I'm sure I'm close. Our applications gro- business is now growing double digits. And almost all of that growth, all of that growth is coming from the cloud. Right. And in our database business, we're growing mid-single digits, which is more than the market's growing. And again, a lot of incremental growth coming from database as, as a service. So we're focused on 
how we do in the applications business overall, how we do in the database business overall, and most of that growth because of customer choice is now coming from from the cloud. So how do you shift a company like that when you think about when uh, you do care, it's hard. I get that. I get yeah. That. yeah. I don't really uh, care you get paid a lot. But thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but how do you do that in terms of management because a lot of companies have hit the shoals on these kind of right. things of shifting and it takes a you know Microsoft ha- has had a tough road moving itself that way. Well, I think any company that's got and I think you said it right. We're a company that's that's had great success. And it's hard to move actually companies that are winning and getting winning companies to change. Mm-hmm. It's actually harder to change them than companies that are losing that have to change. And well, so, losing companies don't tend to do that well either. But Well, some, I'll be honest with you, the, the quickest innovators, if you look at history, are those companies that historically innovate and those that are in deep trouble mm-hmm. because they have to. In our case, you could have made the argument, we don't have to. Let's just keep doing what we're doing uh, longer. We made the decision to go at this hard three or four years ago and changing virtually everything in the company. We built all of our, we made the decision to build all of these global data centers to deploy this technology and to do it fast. We invested in incremental R&D. I mean, our R&D six years ago was 3.7 billion. It's now over $5 billion. Uh, I can tell you there are many people, particularly investors that say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Um, but we did it quickly. We increased the size of our sales force. We actually changed the way who they called on, changed the way we paid them. I could go on. And we did all of this stuff simultaneously, which you can imagine causes a lot of ripples in a big company, particularly a big uh, global company. Our strategy was to start with, let's do this right, but let's do it right and do it as fast as we can do it right and get this behind us. And that's what we've done. So uh, I want to hear more about the difficulties of doing that because, again, many companies have problems doing and cannot shift over. Um, Even companies that were founded relatively recently, there was just a story, for example, on what's going to kill Google. Now, Google's not that old, like all around search and innovation and things like that. What have been the more difficult parts of shifting that? And then I want to talk about the enterprise business as a whole because it's undergoing an enormous shift of how, how businesses are run. Um, But talking about the idea of what's the most difficult thing to manage when you're doing that? I know you're winning and everyone thinks they're great and they don't want to change. Or give me an example of something that's been... Well, I I think, you know, any time you try to get any of these processes, particularly in a a big company that's had success, these processes, as much as I like to pretend, you know, we're um, as nimble as they come, just like a startup, we're not. I mean, we're big, and we've got uh, processes in place that, frankly, as you move from this world to the new world, the new world being in cloud, don't have. I'll give you one example. The way we write contracts. We historically used to write contracts with big companies, and the contracts were big contracts. Right. Now we're going to uh, do a contract with a company that's a startup. We're going to go contract with Lyft Mm -hmm. for financials. Lyft doesn't have a procurement department. They don't have even an IT department, per se. And now they want a contract. Well, we can't show up with a bunch of lawyers and a big, thick document. So we changed our process to go to click to accept. Here's a die. By the way, all the terms we'd usually negotiate, Mm -hmm. we have this big negotiation. There's a bunch of terms that 80% of the time, if you just asked, you got them. We made a decision to say, let's just put all of those into the into mm-hmm. the contract and now put it into an automated way you can just click to accept it and try to get all of the friction out of the process that single decision right around here is like you got to be kidding 
you'd we're like gonna, to be in those long negotiations with all your It's lawyers. just the way we've been trained. You know, right. it's what's in our DNA. Right. And so going back now to try to taking all the friction out of the process and making it just frictionless, a lot of work. And I could go through this process by process by process. Uh, the new world for us is is different. And we've had to approach each one of these processes looking at it that way. So talk about the the enterprise business overall, because there's startups all over the place in every bit of your business, every part of your business. How do you look at what's happened over the past five years? Obviously, the consumerization, all kinds of different ways. How do you assess rivals at this point? Who do you consider your major rivals right now? That was good. You could be on our analyst call. That was like eight <laughs> questions in one question. Uh, but uh, so if I looked no, at rivals... analyst call would be, oh, how smart you are. But go ahead. No, it doesn't work like that. Trust me. Uh, oh, otherwise come on. Those so, so if I went to our competitors, our competitors have shifted. So name them now. Who do you like? Well, let's talk about the applications business. Right. Historically, we would compete most often with SAP. Mm-hmm. They would have been the, the historic, the first round of ERP. The two biggest categories in software over the past 20 years or so are ERP and database. Mm-hmm. Uh, ERP, historically, we would compete with, with, with SAP. They've really not rewritten their applications for the cloud. Big decision on their part. They, they didn't do that. Now, who do we compete with? Not clear yet. I mean, we have one company, you know, who's built an HCM application, Workday. They've tried to do financials. Yep. Haven't had much success with that yet. Mm-hmm. Nice little dig in there, but go ahead. Thank Hold you. On. And so, but but in the end, I mean, our, we're going to be competing on cloud SaaS ERP. This is the way customers want to go. I mean, to give you an example, I don't know where we'll end this coming up quarter. We ended last quarter with almost 4,000 customers that are now running their ERP applications mm-hmm. in SaaS cloud. This is an amazing speed by which this has transitioned. And I might even say, if I went back three years ago and thought how fast customers would change their ERP to take mm-hmm. advantage of the cloud, I probably underestimated the speed by which customers would move. So I would say our, our, our competitive landscape has changed in, in applications. In platforms, probably not, not a lot of change. I think that there's a lot of talk about... There always has been a lot of talk about different databases that sure. come into the market, but not a lot of change. The three biggest databases in the world today are Oracle, SQL Server, and be very frank with you, IBM. Mm-hmm. Um, IBM still has a big legacy database, and while there have been a lot of companies try to get at it, some of this work, example by what we've done at AT&T, mm-hmm. uh, hard to change. So platforms, not nearly as, as much change. Infrastructure, a lot of change. Right. You've now got the movement of what had been uh, Dell, um, HP, IBM, uh, operating system companies that would support them, and, and some percentage of that now beginning to move uh, to the cloud. And those competitors would be who we've described, Amazon and others. And others. How do you assess Amazon? I'd like you to specifically drill down on Amazon and what they've done. Was that a surprise to you, their entry? I'm going to go through each of these rivals really quickly. Well, I think that uh, they've done... You know, if you went back to the history of it, they built an IT organization like most retailers when they started, and they built an IT organization that unfortunately had to be built for the bubble of the holiday season. Uh, The original thesis was, I've got this excess capacity in the early part of the year, why don't I rent that and leverage the infrastructure I've got that I have for the bubble of the year? And that began the process of starting uh, AWS. I think they've done a good job creating a frictionless acquisition environment for customers, not even so much enterprise companies, but the individual developer, right. uh, making it easy to spin up and provision a job and get to work. And I think that's been, that's been the key piece of innovation that they've delivered. And what about Google? Very late. 
I don't see them much, to be very... To be very Why so? I don't know. They talk about it a lot. They've hired Diane. They've got... I, yeah, they may be. I talking. I'm not. I'm not here to make a comment about right. them as much as if you ask me, do I? You didn't. But I'll why say, don't you see them then? I don't know. Do you I don't feel know. like we, it's their when natural I go in front of area? customers, I, I don't see them. Much. Do you feel like that's their natural? Were you surprised that you didn't see them? More? You know, it's hard. I will say this, and it's not just about Google, but it's when you're a consumer company mm-hmm. becoming an enterprise company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember. I remember very much uh, Steve Jobs telling me many many years ago that he would never want my job. Mm-hmm. That when you go... seem like his work, but go ahead. He's like, he's like you know, uh, what, do you actually get on like airplanes and fly and see customers? I'm going, yeah, 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 you know, I go do that. And he goes, you know, customers come to see me. Yeah. Do you actually do sp- special things for these customers? So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have to do unique things. And he yeah. goes... A lot of I, golf I, tournaments, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, or just, or, or help them with a different piece of technology right. or right. modify something. And I'd say, yeah, yeah, we do that all the time. He goes... Uh, that doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. And so when you're in the consumer business, it, it sounds really easy to go work with these big companies, yet all these big companies have special needs, special strategies that they want you to adapt to, and they have contracts and procurement departments sure. and all of this. So it's not the easiest of moves to go from the consumer world to the... So your talents of being obsequious is helpful, Correct. Do you have any more questions? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, but what I mean, it's interesting because they ha- I, I would imagine Google should have been doing more. I've pressed Sundar and others on why that is. And obviously, they've hired Diane. They've hired all these top AI people. They're, they're clearly, it's going to be their focus. It's a great company, so I have no, no comments about that. I don't feel a- like their moonshots really are the, you know, their invisibility cloaks and their time machines is not going to really I'll just off. stick by it. I just don't see them much out there. Yeah, and Microsoft. Again, a good company. They, they're, I'd say in some ways, they're similar to us. They've yeah. got a very strong position on-premise. Uh, they've got some applications, very different applications than what we have. They've got uh, Office and uh, so forth. And they've done, their, their focus has been try to get Office from, from on-prem into the cloud. They support that with a platform, as I described. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're supporting that with infrastructure. So their strategy, as I read it, makes makes a lot of sense uh, to me. Okay. So lastly, in this section, I'd love to any startups that you look at and you think that's super interesting. You dissed Workday a little, but there's tons of others that are sort of eating around the edges of your businesses. You know, I don't see that there are any um, in the core business that we have. That I would say startups, and I think a startup specifically right. is real, real Smaller. startups. Yeah. Today, obviously, we're we're very busy. Always, we we're obviously serial acquirers. Yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about and, that. Next. And so we we tend to buy. Uh, not we spend over five billion of R and D, but we buy in a lot of innovation based on who we buy. So we're constantly looking. I would say it's interesting in the cloud market that when you look through all of the companies participating today and you talk about uh, M&A, I usually make the comments that while we talk about it generically, when you start to look for specific companies, there aren't many, many out there to go, to go acquire who are really born in the cloud that have any level of scale, even at the 20, 30, 40 million dollar mark, mm-hmm. which, you know, is not obviously a Big scale company, right. but can have so you, you you don't have that many uh, out there today, and certainly those that have crossed the chasm. I mean, if you thought about just companies in the applications market, the SaaS market, that have crossed a billion dollars. I mean, a year ago there were only four of them. There was Salesforce, uh, Workday, ServiceNow, and NetSuite. 
and and one of them is gone. Yeah, one of them is, one. is with us. So, and then when you go below a billion, you have to go down the stack quite a bit. There's not many even that close to a billion. So, the the competitive uh, environment. So, of, are you interested in purchasing on the other three on your finger there? Well, you know, I, I'm sure you're uh, thinking that I'm surely going to answer that. Um, I was but, hoping. I mean, our, it yeah. could happen. No, no, it's it, could. it could. It could. It'd be like that Jack Nicholson movie with Tom Cruise. I'll just push you to it, and then you'll admit that you called for the code yes. red. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, you're damn right I did. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember. Damn right I'm buying Salesforce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> Listen, I mean, I think that for us, we are, uh, I'll give you the answer you, of course, don't want to have. We're very happy with where we are today with our portfolio. Yeah. Uh, That's so. what, just what people say just before they buy something. You know that. <laughs> We are really happy with okay, we are well done, well done, Mark. Today. All right, we're here with Mark Hurd uh, of Oracle, and we're talking about the enterprise business and other things. This podcast is brought to you by SoFi, a living room with a fireplace, the perfect kitchen, a big yard. Finding a house that checks all the boxes is hard. Financing shouldn't be, and it isn't with SoFi. Mortgages start at ten percent down with no borrower-paid private mortgage insurance. Plus, SoFi underwrites at the pre-approval level, so when you find your dream home in your dream neighborhood, you can act fast and make it yours. Visit SoFi.com to learn more. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SoFi.com slash legal for more information. Loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp. are not available in all states. NMLS 1121636. I want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Hey, Swisher. How did you get in the room? Hi, I'm here. We're about to tape another episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. I'm very excited about it. Oh, really? Okay, every Friday we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, who did we talk to this week and what did we talk about? Well, we talked to Recode's Johanna Bouillon. She's the transportation reporter at Recode. And we talked about, guess. Uber. Uber. This is, I think, the third time we've talked about Uber in recent months because they've just had a lot going on within the company. A lot of news. And we've gotten a lot of questions about it. A lot of news. And a lot of news that's been broken by Recode and some other outlets as well. New York Times. New York Times. Yeah. You might have heard of. And so there's a lot happening with the company and a lot of people are, they have questions about the future of the company. So we tried to answer those. It was a great discussion and we hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcast. That's too embarrassed to ask. See you there. See you there, Swisher. All right, then. We're here with Mark Hurd of Oracle, who's being very amusing about purchasing. But let's talk about what you did purchase. Moat, please explain for the people. So one of the big parts of our business... Right, mo- explain what Moat is, because most people... Don't Moat's have- a company very focused on the data right. business. So, but the ad business. The ad business. And the so programmatic ad business. Yeah. And so let me... Shift for you all, correct? Well, let me, tr- let me right. try to talk a little bit about it and try to give you context. So I talked a little bit about the software as a service layer, uh, the platform as a service layer, and the infrastructure as a service layer. There, there's really a fourth piece to this, which is the data as a service layer. And the opportunity now for customers to take advantage of just data. So most of the ad campaigns uh, that are run today, if you're a brand, online, the two most uh, places where you would go would be Facebook and right. would be Google. In, in That's most, pretty much it, actually. The latest data shows they've sucked up everything. And in most cases, what they want to do is have you, the brand, use their data sure. to run the campaign. Of course. What we do, and, and both of them are customers of our data business. Mm-hmm. But we also sell data to other customers. Right. So they Because I think what happens with most brands, Kara, 
is they want to use their data. They want to use their data at Google. They want to use their data at Facebook because they want their data to become richer and more robust. Right. So the ability, when you talk about ads, the ability for I as the company to learn more about personalization, more about targeting, so that I can target the right buyer with the right offer at the right time through the well, right channel. Well, they don't trust channel. that data, presumably. I mean, they want they, they want to, to verify. Yeah, well, and they just, all of these great brands want to get smarter about the customer. So they're not wasting your time. They're not wasting my time. Mm -hmm. I can do a better job with a very specific offer at the right time with the right thing. To do that, their data has to get more robust and richer. I, I think long run, long run being defined as you get the next two to five years, companies can't ignore this. They have to focus on enriching their data. If you and I are competitors and you've got better data and you know your customer better than I do, more than likely you win. And so for us, Moat was a part of this aggregated data as a service business. Uh, last points I'll make on it. We spent some time, we bought a company called Blue Kai, we bought a mm -hmm. company called Data Logics, uh, and Moat is another a piece of that of that entire data portfolio. So really, one of the things that's important about it is the ability to verify these two massive advertising, uh, programmatic advertising winners, essentially. I think it's bigger than that. I don't okay. think you just want to verify them. I think you, as the brand, want to own your data, mm -hmm. own your knowledge repository of your customers and your market. And, and so I think... It isn't just Verify, because Verify would be one dimension. Well, they've had some issues around that. They have, but they have to go past that, right. because this has to become, if you're a brand, a competitive differentiator for you. This is back to the whole broader enterprise strategy. Would you rather spend your money uh, modifying an ERP and debits and credits and all that, or would you rather do what we're talking about, which is get to know more about your customers, serve them better in a timely fashion? I'd much rather do the latter and spend my money there to differentiate. The problem you have in the market today is for CEOs who don't, you know, frankly don't last very long in their jobs, mm -hmm. most of it is there's not a lot of revenue growth out there. The SMP has not grown more than 1% or 2% in the last five years. And so the ability to grow has to do with taking share. And so getting your money in IT... Taking share from others. Taking share from others, yeah, right. because most of the money is fixed in IT. Mm -hmm. Most of the money is keeping the lights on. So how do I shift that money from you know, keeping the lights on for applications that don't make a difference for me into an area that could make a difference for me and help me grow my revenue, help me keep the customers I've got, and help me expand my customer base. And so that focus and having the data then that supports that strategy becomes a key issue for me. What happens with your relation with Google and Facebook? And I'm only mentioning because they're the entire... Well, they're customers of ours, too. Right. So, but I mean, in this area, because is this, does this put you at cross-purposes with them, or do you feel like... No, we don't think so. We think our view is to be agnostic to that. I mean, our view is to be a great provider of data uh, to the degree that we can supplement and help Google. We can degree it help supplement Facebook and also help our customers at the same time we think is a, we think is a good thing. presumably your customers would be the focus here, not Facebook and Google. No, no, actually, they're, they're, it's actually both. Okay. Do you imagine may, this area of, in the ad space as being a big part of your business going forward? Is this correct? A $850 million? Was our report correct? I'd have to validate the exact number. I don't remember. Uh, so it sounds roughly right. Okay. And I think the opportunity for us to continue to make our data business more robust will be a focus you'll see going forward. Again, I predict no m and In M &A. other areas, not I, just... I predict no M&A. 
Okay. All right. Um, other than this was an important thing. Are there other areas with. you want to get into at programmatic ads? What else? What other areas you think are interesting? I think really focusing on the data itself is key. I it, whatever think, it is. Yeah. Whatever. Get, getting, continuing. As I, again, I think companies long run will have strategies specifically around their data. Data will become a currency. Mm-hmm. The, more, the more relevant my data, the more robust my data, the better chance for me to win. Mm-hmm. And I think our job is to help the customers build out that data set. All right, when you, t- you just said something I thought was really interesting, which was that you're not gonna, growth is going to be really hard to find, and you have to take it from others. Why is that? Why do you think that? Because, I mean, are we in a period of lack of innovation? Be- many people feel we're at a, another cusp at, in Silicon Valley. Are you worried about innovation? Well, I start a step before. I start with our customers, right? I mean, if I look at worldwide GDP growth, just simple, I look at 2%. Uh, I've seen people show numbers that are a little better than that. I've seen 1.822122. If I go take that times 75, sorry? Not not robust. Not robust. It's against 75 trillion, so it's $1.5 trillion. If I further double click on that, I think roughly 40% of all that GDP growth is in one country, and it sits in China. Mm -hmm. So for our customers, if they don't have exposure to China, which is difficult. They're, they're competing for seven, $800, $800 billion uh, worth of growth. Now you start clicking that back to somebody who says, I want to grow my company. And most companies grow roughly in line with GDP, trade positive or negative, um, based on their ability to keep their customers and gain share. So most of our customers are in the position where they have to take somebody else's customers right. to drive any real real growth. And I think it gets back into this whole issue we're describing. When we look at IT, IT in the enterprise can be 10, 12, 14, 15% of all the expenses mm-hmm. that, our, that our customers spend. By the way, if you go back to the S&P, the earnings growth exceeds the revenue growth, which tells me most of our customers are cutting their expenses. That's right. how they're driving their earnings growth. The stock market... When you look at the stock market and you start to say, why is the stock market up so high? Good question, because it's certainly not coming with robust revenue growth. This current quarter is the most robust set of predictions for revenue growth for the S&P in years. Mm -hmm. So this we're talking about four to five percent predicted growth. We'll see if it happens. If that happens, that will be a, a very positive breakout that we've seen. But I still click back to even GDP in the U.S. You saw for Q1, yep. not very Baker, exciting. Yeah. I, so why I, is that? What, what is, how do you create an opportunity for more? It's just the way it's going to be. Well, listen, I mean, we can't, we IT, I mean, the only ways I know to grow economies, uh, at least from when I was back in school, was you have more people, you make the more people more productive, you invest capital. Those are the three core ways you grow an economy. So in this uh, environment, you've got some of the markets that generally have more people. That's where you see some level of GDP growth. Productivity being aligned to that population growth, which drives more productivity. And then markets that have more capital. And that's where all of us that run businesses have to drive our businesses to get growth. Not all of our customers, to your point, Kara, have that opportunity to go do that. It's very hard to do what I just said, to go take advantage and move your business over here and over there, set up distribution, develop relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Very hard. So I think us in technology, 
you know, we've got a very interesting valley here. You're talking about yeah. the Silicon Valley. I mean, you look at 22 miles long, six miles wide. We spent a long time in the enterprise business, all as piece part companies. I mean, you know this as well as I do. Most of these companies here sell you a disk drive or sell you an operating system, sell you a server, sell you this or that. And then we ask the customer, you put all this stuff together and you make it work. Right. I think what customers are saying today is, make that easier for me. Mm -hmm. I, I can't spend all this money doing that. I need to spend my money doing other things. Right. And I think that's why this cloud thing has so much How do you feel about innovation right now in the Valley and where it's going? Many are worried that it's sort of we're at the end of a major cycle of innovation. Well, I don't want to get into some dramatic right. prediction of, the, of, of this or that. I think our job as an industry is, and, and much of it emanates here, mm -hmm. is to continue to drive innovation to help the customer so what? do what? something different. What? I think first thing Automation? comes, we have, to make, we have to make it easier. Right. I mean, this whole, I mean, our industry is one of, I mean, I don't know how most everybody in here, when they get a car, they don't buy a pedal and a brake and, a, and then mm -hmm. put it together in their, in their driveway. You buy a, a concluded car. I mean, you don't get electricity. You flip a switch, it goes on. You know, and that's basically what happens in the cloud now. You get to get software over the network. So I think this, this modernization of our industry, so we, we tend to look more like, not entirely, but more like a, a utility with IP, um, does a couple things. I think it lowers our customers' costs. I think it simplifies things. It allows us, if we do the right job innovation-wise, we talked about one of those areas, like something as, as fundamental as data, and get our customers into the right opportunity where they can spend their money to help grow their businesses. And I think if the Valley can help do that and just operates on this, make this simpler, make it easier, uh, make customers more efficient, I think we'll have done a heck of a job. Okay, we're going to move to an area I know you love to talk about politics. Oh, great. Oracle's been, uh, or Safra, has been very supportive of the pres President Trump. Um, most companies in the Valley are less so or more reluctant to do so. How do you look at this administration as a company? And, and I'm just curious why everybody sort of has to skulk around around. They never want to talk about the Trump administration the way they did around other government. Is this going to be a better government for business? Well, listen, I, I, in the end, don't have historically never talked about any administration. I don't like the company to become political. Yeah, but yet like you are company. now. I like, well, you know, in, in fairness, we were not involved in the election. The mm -hmm. uh, company was not involved in the election at all. Um, and so when we look at what we want as a company, we're a global company. We're headquartered in the U.S. Uh, we want growth. Mm -hmm. to the various uh, points you and I have talked about now for the however long we've been right. talking. Right. Uh, so, so broad economic growth is, we think, is good. And so the opportunity to drive more growth will be very supportive, and Oracle's obviously always been supportive. So what do you want from this administration? Well, I mean, let's take something like uh, repatriation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, everybody wants that. You want all well, your... it's a big deal, in fairness. <laughs> it's course. not just that you want it. I mean, the end of the day is we've, we've got our money uh, overseas. We have today, I don't know, 50-some billion dollars mm -hmm. uh, uh, overseas that Apple we'd like to get back. Billion. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a couple, three trillion dollars, you know, stuck overseas that almost all those companies have paid tax on. Where, they, where they've earned it. Now, the opportunity to bring it back here and invest it in this country is a big opportunity. You have most companies borrowing money for their U.S. operations, therefore not investing as much while their money is trapped uh, overseas. The opportunity for us to bring that back and invest it here is a, is is a big opportunity. Is that something that Oracle's going to... I mean, Apple just announced a U.S. manufacturer. Should you be spending well, I mean, more listen, money I, in I, the U.S.? I think again, or is that just sort of... A 
PR. Yeah, I don't know enough about what Apple announced. I haven't, I haven't There's read what they announced. There's going to be, I don't know, like a factory in Kansas and Trump and Cook will go together. That's my guess on something like Sounds that. Sounds great. Yeah. So, so if, if I think for us, we already, we assemble all of our computers here in the U.S., mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, around this campus, we do a lot of our development right here. Um, we hire lots of you. I mean, that's another point that I would tell you is that you know we have many talented engineers in U.S. universities, mm-hmm. and they've come from uh, someplace outside the U.S. to study at our schools. We'd like to hire them. What were your thoughts on the immigration ban? Well, I'm not going to get into my specific view on on, on that. Well, you I, like immigrants working for you, correct? I do. I do. I like trained. I like trained. We've been very supportive of of hiring immigrants that have those that have have done a great. They've 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 learned at the best schools in this country. Right. We you know we let them come come learn here, but we won't let them work here. Right. So have you made those objections known to the new administration? I make them known to anybody who will listen. Okay. I mean, at the at the end of the day, we need we Oracle need talented people. Uh, I think the fact that they can practice their craft and their trade in the U.S., pay taxes in the U.S., um, build great companies here in the Silicon Valley, uh, innovate great products here at Oracle, these are all fantastic things. So, um, you know, listen, we want growth. We want the ability to great great talent. Uh, we want the ability to not pay for our uh, earnings twice. Uh, we'd love to see the U.S. get more competitive from a corporate tax. I mean, the tax, I'm, I'm, I know you know all this, Kara, but I mean, the tax base in this country is incredibly high. Mm-hmm. We need to get more competitive. If you want to attract more companies here, uh, more investment, you've got to get more competitive. So, again, we'll see how all this plays out over the next Are you worried years. about the politicizations that's going on right now? Well, I, Silicon I, Valley's always tried to keep itself out of politics. Now it's being dragged in quite heavily. You know, I, I only worry a, about it in the context of, I, I try to be very clear that my number one job is Oracle. Right. My number one job is putting Oracle in the best position to compete and to, to win. And there are things that just, we've just gone through that I think would be great outcomes for us. My guess is those are the very same things that would be great outcomes for other companies, too. Um, so we really want to see those things change. Yeah, I didn't see you at the table, at the Trump table, which was interesting. Right. Yeah, okay. (laughs) We're going to take another quick break now for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a minute with more from Oracle co-CEO Mark Hurd. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever have to send money internationally? If you do, you know it's expensive and time-consuming, and the exchange rate you get from your bank or provider can be terrible. Next time you have to make an international money transfer, you should use TransferWise. The exchange rate is incredibly good, so your money goes much further, and you pay only one small upfront fee. Setting up a payment is simple and fast. You know exactly what you'll pay up front, and you get a real exchange rate with no markup. The two friends who founded TransferWise were immigrants from Estonia, and they were sick of getting ripped off when they sent money home. So they came up with a quicker, cheaper, and easier way to transfer money between countries. Then they realized... This great idea could be a company. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. You can download the app for Android or iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer, as in I need to transfer money to another country. Wise, as in I'm going to do it the wise way. TransferWise.com. Today's show is brought to you by LegalZoom. If you own a business and you want to run it well, you have to pay attention to the little details. 
One contract slip-up or legal misunderstanding can really set you back. Fortunately, there's LegalZoom. More than a million Americans have used LegalZoom to start their businesses, but you probably knew that already. LegalZoom services go way beyond starting a business. They have a nationwide network of independent attorneys to answer all your day-to-day legal questions about your business. Because let's face it, stuff like trademarks, employment law, and lease agreements can get pretty complicated. So don't waste your valuable time trying to wrap your head around all the fine print. Use LegalZoom for that so you can focus on growing your business instead. You'll get the legal help you need and they won't bill you by the hour because LegalZoom is not a law firm. Go to LegalZoom.com today. Be sure to enter DECODE in the referral box for special savings. That's LegalZoom.com. Use the promo code DECODE. All right, let's get some questions from the other reporters here. This is Mark Hurd of Oracle. We're talking about a lot of things from politics to the changing enterprise to cloud. Mr. Hurd. Hi. Guillermo Mata, Compute Channel Magazine, Latin America. Why hasn't the world adopted cloud faster if it's so dramatically good? And my continuation would be, what has been the main obstacle for its adoption here in the U.S. and worldwide? Of course, because it's different. No, first of all, I think it it has moved uh, relatively quickly. If you think about the cloud business as sort of uh, zero uh, several years ago to 50 billion now, um, it's growing quite quickly, materially faster than anything in the enterprise business because the rest of the enterprise business is in decline. My guess would be enterprise IT in totality is flat to up 1% and in it is the 50 billion or so growing 50%. So it would tell you it is growing fast. Now, if you said, what are the roadblocks uh, to doing it? First, it's, it's a lot easier to say, hey, let's move to the cloud than it is to actually do it. So there's actually a lot of work to move workloads from here to there. When you start getting into applications and security. databases, all, right, all of this stuff is, is hard to do. Second, let's take Kara's point. Security started out several years ago as a, uh, a huge fear. You know, can you make your cloud as secure as what I do on-premise? I always would answer, I, I have a really hard time making it that bad. Um, that's, that's how weak security is on-premise. But it's been a, it's been a fear of many customers for a while. Third, there's a lot of politicalization around it. And so let's go through it a little bit. In, in some countries, there's a view that you can't move data uh, out of the country, whether that's employee data, customer data. And so when you start moving to other countries, there becomes the issue of I want that data domiciled in the discrete country that I'm at. So if I wanted to leverage uh, uh, a cloud provider and that data was moving to insert country here, you just simply can't do it. There's a, a fourth dimension, which is regulatory issues, which gets down to in certain industries, you have certain uh, roadblocks that, that, that can get in the way. So those are sort of the four core issues. Yet I would say in spite of all that, you have, you have the growth. Eventually to be 100%. See. I mean, almost all cloud, correct? Say what now? All cloud, eventually. I th- you know, I've, I've given speeches before where I, I said in the next 10 years, and I probably started this a year ago, you know, 80% of the corporate data centers will go away in that time frame. All of dev test, which is a third of the industry, will go to the cloud. All the commercial applications will go that have a commercial alternative. And security, which is one of the issues we've talked about, will actually flip from being a concern to being a benefit. The security implications in the cloud uh, particularly of the big enterprise providers, you will be more secure there than you will be in the traditional on-prem world. That's a big prediction. 
Okay, right over here. Hi, Ora Hernandez from newspaper Excelsior here. Hi. Hi. I want to know what are the big opportunities for Oracle in Latin America and in particular in Mexico? Do you have a strategy for that country? And um, like Cara says, we have this kind of politics right now with the new administrations and with the relations with Mexico are not so good, but what is your opinion about the, the country and what they're expecting? Well, first, I love Mexico. <laughs> um, I think it's a great, a great, it's a great market for us. We've have we have obviously a great customer base in Mexico. We've just had a couple of very big events uh, in Mexico. One of the biggest, I'm not sure we've released it publicly, but I will now. Uh, Bimbo, for example, has moved to all cloud ERP, one of the fastest moving companies, you know, in certainly in your country, uh, to move to SaaS cloud, and they're moving their whole global operations to SaaS ERP. Uh, so you see a lot of innovation uh, down in Mexico, a, a large desire to take advantage historically. Remember, in Mexico, like Latin America, uh, one of the biggest issues has always been the lack of availability of scaled re skilled resources, which in the old on-premise world really hurt you. So when you needed uh, people that could write and extend and customize code, you didn't have the talent there. The cloud world changes all that. You know, the fact that now the IP that's running it at, at GE is the same IP that's running at Bimbo, you now get that done by us. It is not customizable. It's extendable, but not customizable. That's a big difference. So the opportunity now for, for companies in Latin America to get absolutely leading edge IP that you couldn't get before has changed dramatically. So we, as you, I, I'm sure you know, we've invested heavily in Latin America. We put data centers in Latin America. We've expanded our sales force in Latin America. We're gaining a material amount of share in Latin America. And I think it's been because we've invested ahead of the curve. We invested in Colombia. We invested, we invested in Chile. We invested in Peru. We've invested in Argentina. We continued our investment in Brazil in spite of the recession. And so it's all been because we believe that what Karen and I have been talking about is going to happen across uh, the entire region. And so our investment would in Latin you, America is significant. Would you like to make we're building bridges, not walls comment that Mark Zuckerberg enjoys? No, I'm teasing. I'm just kidding. Thank you. Uh, next question uh, over here. Hey, Blair Henley Frank from IBG News Service. One of the things, as you're talking about the Oracle Data Cloud, uh, one of the things we've heard about today is how those tools are going to make it easier for companies to understand user behavior before they hit company-owned websites so that you, know, you have a, a user profile that can then tell you, the, the Oracle Data Cloud customer, what somebody has been doing before they get to your website and be able to tailor experiences around that. How do you explain that to a privacy conscious or privacy concerned consumer who's thinking like, why does Oracle know what I've been doing with all of my browsing data and my behavior as a customer? Yeah, everything's uh, in that case, um, most of the data isn't about Mark. It's anonymized. And so the ability to get at specific activities that you do are eliminated. If you opted out, you don't get included in that data set either. So you still have the same privacy uh, opportunities you've, uh, you've always had. Nothing changes in that environment. So you would have had to have opt-in and participated to be part of that process. Hi, Mark. Dennis Pombriant, Beagle Research. Moving to the cloud usually represents a pretty significant change to the revenue model. As someone who's sort of in the midst of it, do you have any advice for other CEOs? 
tech CEOs that are moving? Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, I think it's hard. You know, uh, first, the revenue becomes ratable. So in our old license business, if we sold something, it was recognized uh, right away. Now we sell something that's recognized over, over quarters and, frankly, in years. So it does have an impact uh, to the revenue model. But in the long run, if you want to make this move to the cloud, you need three core things. Uh, you need IP. You can't, you can't move without IP. Second, you have to have capital. To your point, uh, it wasn't exactly your point, but I'll make it mine, which is you have to be able to invest in the infrastructure to be able to deliver that IP via the cloud. So you've got to have IP you got to have capital, and you got to have the, what the right word for it is, the patience or the uh, whatever word you'd want to use to stick it out because it takes, if you look at us, I mean, we spent three years uh, on, with basically flat earnings per share, and this is not the formula for, for being admired uh, by the investment community. And so you have to have the ability to, to deal with that because now I will say once you get to the other side of that, it's a bit like I, I use the example sometimes like the hotel business. The problem with the cloud is you've got to build a hotel and it's got to be finished before you can rent any rooms. And the problem is while the hotel's going up, there's no revenue. And then once the hotel is finished, you can start renting rooms. So you have to have enough ability to be able to, to, to sustain that while you're going through the process. And there's no quick way through it. We've taken the strategy, right or wrong, was to try and do this move to the cloud to do it right, to do it quickly, and to make sure we took no shortcuts. And so we, we've tried to do all three of those things at the same time. And listen, we've wound up with the result I described, which was, was flat earnings during that time frame. Our best quarters have been the past several quarters as we've now come out of that and where you start to see the benefit in terms of revenue that's now coming in as rooms are getting rented in the hotel. Vinny Merchant, Danny, Data Architect. Hi, Vinny. Mark, you, you articulated pretty well, cloud is CapEx heavy. Why doesn't Wall Street seem to understand that? It seems like every CEO, like Microsoft five years ago when they started to build Azure, almost hid the fact that they were investing a lot in CapEx. Wall Street just does not want to seem to hear that it takes a lot of CapEx. You know, magically, customers are moving from CapEx to OpEx. Somebody's got to make that CapEx investment. Yes, Mark, why doesn't Wall Street understand you? I, I don't think – see, the problem is with investors and in in, in, in Wall Street, I don't think they particularly care about, you know, my problems or some other company's problems. Nobody wants to hear I had a bad day or didn't say – nobody cares, right? The only issue they care about is performance. And so I think at the end of the day, you have to perform. Back to this point, right, that says, you know, when you say to me I'm going to take a time out – to transition our business, the investor says, okay, uh, I'll come back after you're done. Um, and so I think that, that that whole point about why does the investor understand, I think they do. I think their point is we want to see performance. Whether we like it or not, what they want is earnings per share, they want cash flow, or they want revenue growth. They want one of those three metrics they can hang their hat on, and they'll give you and reward you for that. If you're in transition from here to there, not so much. I think on the CapEx point, Let's be clear about the cloud business. CapEx is a dimension of it. You have to have the capital to invest. But in the end, in isolation, CapEx won't give you a great solution in isolation. You have to have capital. But if you don't have IP, 
you know, by the way, if you ask me, uh, you know, does CapEx in isolation give you an advantage? If I do something technically, I might be able to have my CapEx costs. I might be able to turn it into a core. If I multi-tenant my database, if I put it in memory, if I multi-tenant my, mid my middle tier, I can actually shrink the number of data centers I need and actually shrink my CapEx at the same time. So I need capital, but I also need innovation and I need technology. Okay, last question back here. Hey, Mark, Karen, John Furrier, Silicon Angle, the Cube. Good to see you again. Hi, how are you? Uh, we, as we chatted uh, months ago, the cloud is the biggest shift uh, of innovation and wealth creation we haven't seen since the first generation of the computer industry, you know, going back to the whole client-server things we talked about. Yet everyone seems to be number one in the cloud. Amazon's number one, Microsoft's number one, Oracle's number one. What data should people look at as the key scoreboard metrics for being number one? Because how can you have all, all these number well, one? Well, it's possible, it's possible to, depending on what, how you segment the market, they could all be right. And, and marketing, it's yeah. Marketing. I mean, but again, remember what what people are talking about is you know where are they in SaaS, where are they in in infrastructure, where are they in platforms, and we we tend to here come up with this term cloud, which in isolation doesn't really mean much. Cloud is a generic term for a whole bunch of things. And so what you see is many people talking about, I'm number one at that thing within the cloud. I'm number one at that thing within the cloud. I grow the fastest in that thing within the cloud. And so it's a, it's a segmented market. It's a lot of different things. I do think it's a mistake to just generically talk about the cloud. Because in the cloud, I mean, just to give you an example, our applications business, or if you would, SaaS, our applications business measured in support, on-premise, and SaaS is growing double digits. And so how does that applications layer in the cloud and in totality look? I bet the applications market, I think we mentioned earlier, is probably zero to 1%. So this is all, we're, we're genericizing about a lot of different things with this term. Amazon. Yeah. I mean, I think just, Amazon's just, number one. Just keep, just keep looking at the revenue numbers. I think it's better to not listen to what people say. Just listen yeah. to what they do and what the revenue looks like. All right, Mark, I'm going to ask you one final question sure. before we go. Um, jobs has been the center of this entire political season, and everyone's aware of them. The issues around AI, automation, robotics. There's going to be an enormous shift in jobs. How do you... Do you think Silicon Valley has a self-driving cars? You go through everything retail. There could be no retail stores. There could be no car drivers. Do you think Silicon Valley has a responsibility to come up with solutions? Because it was, it was much attacked during this political season around that issue of eliminating jobs and creating a, a really problematic situation going forward. How much a responsibility do you think tech has to create solutions? Because largely they've abrogated their responsibility on all kinds of things. I think our view is to keep innovating. We want to have that innovation. My preference would be we do it here instead of, because if we don't do it, somebody else will do it. Our job is to, to make, to get customers in a position where they're the most efficient and effective they can be. And then I would think make, move that investment to other areas so they can further their innovation. We also don't want that innovation going on anywhere but here. Um, if we don't drive it, I assure you, somebody else will. But what if that innovation means no more jobs in driving, or no more jobs in retail, or no more jobs in... But, but again, economy shift and investment shifts. So if in, in, if in the end I can automate a process 
and I can make that process more effective, whatever it be, driving, hospitality, et cetera, and I can take the capital that I, the company, spend on that and then now invest that in more innovation so I can do something better, I'm in a better space than I've been before. We should not get scared about innovation. It, it makes us more efficient and frees up capital for our customers to reinvest in other things. I get that, but does that mean jobs for real people? That's I think a, so. One of the things that Sam Altman just gave an interview recently where he said, any repetitive job that doesn't have an emotional or creative connection is finished. That's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of people. It's a, it's a more complex subject, but yeah. it still gets to the core of, you know, what are the things that are core to driving economy? We talked about people and product productivity. At the core of that is education. Our opportunity to get educated people, educated workers in the jobs that are driving innovation, more valuable jobs. It's not to say that some of those jobs aren't valuable, but in the end of the day, if we can automate those processes and get our money, our customers' money into other things, we create better outcomes. I do not think in any way, shape, or form the Valley or any company should stop investing in innovation. It's going to hurt us long run. We want to be the ones helping get that done. Even if it's automation, robotics, and... I think so, yes, because I think it's going to free up capital to invest in other things, and that's good. All right. All right. Mark Hurd. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Oracle co-CEO Mark Hurd for joining me on the podcast and for the team at Oracle for hosting our interview. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future podcasts or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Anki CEO Boris Softman, Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg, and Stripe CEO Patrick Collison. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. Now that you're done with this, check out our other shows. On Recode Media with Peter Kafka, you'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes the show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. Thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.